Oi, a Squawking Dead, a podcast, pulverizing episodes of the Walking Dead universe. You know, sometimes we give you news, sometimes we make you laugh, but most times we go deep. And I'm here with everybody here in the chat, Sharon Dionisa, obviously, and in front of your faces is Cosmo Mom 9 Rachel Burt, and I'm your host, David Cameo. How are you doing? It's a beautiful day here in New York City. I have my black and white cookie. It's life is good indoors, always. <laughs> And forever. <laughs> As we lock down, like, we prepare, the country prepares to lock down again. Oh my god. Yeah, a little, little so it's current not just events. Michigan, huh? It's gonna be 50 states, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, we just we just got the order the other day, you know, don't leave the house if you don't need to. All the kids are going back to remote learning. And I'm like, yeah, this is why I signed up for virtual right from the get-go. Because I knew if the kids went back to school, it's only a matter of time before they get sent back home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Kind of like back in April. Today, we're going to be talking about The Walking Dead World Beyond's seventh episode. Seven. Titled Truth or Dare. <laughs> this is not the ASMR episode you asked for. <laughs> that was last episode, in case you missed it. Yeah, for me, I feel like this was probably one of the one of the most heavy episodes in the Walking Dead universe. And I and I only say that because of what we see Huck going through, right? We finally see, you know, the beginning days of the apocalypse and and how at least this branch of the military handled it, right? right. We see the first orders come in, we see the second set of orders come in, and this is our first glimpse glimpse inside any sort of military to let us know what they were thinking or what they were ordered. And um, so for that reason, I this this was really heavy for me to, to kind of swallow and like see our military killing, well, supposed to be killing civilians, right? Right. By the, by end, the of end of it. By the end of the episode, I am just, I am heartbroken for Huck. I, I feel like I feel heavier at the end of this episode, knowing what she's having to carry with her all of, I mean, all of this time. 10 years right right um you know and i see this beautiful beautiful but also sad and scary connection between her and hope right because right. they are having to carry these burdens i hope <laughs> that they can continue to be there for each other because this is not going to be easy for hope at right all. would you say also that seeing huck's experience firsthand having it having it actually connect a little bit more for you i think does oh, that make yeah. you does that make you appreciate hope's situation a little bit more it puts it a little bit more into perspective a little i mean i i definitely was sympathetic for what she had to go through i mean it, especially being such a young child you know doing doing what she did um i was i liked that we got to see basically the lesson of huck's flashbacks were doing what needs to be done even if it's a bad choice right bad choices for good reasons type of thing and, and we got to see that play out with hope and walter of all people right <laughs> mm -hmm. oh yeah like like that culminating in like the end of her flashbacks flashback essentially essentially right uh, well, more uh, or less the, the the gentleman with his gun to hope's head his name is walter walter yeah Walter's just an unfortunate name apparently in this universe <laughs> right walters get killed don't want, to, don't, be, don't want to be a walter um but we well, got to see that right we got to see hope Ho, uh, i'm sorry huck go into this role you know what i mean and hope yeah. got to see all of it firsthand and then she saw you know huck, huck saved me you know yeah. she did what she had to do to save her similarly to what she did for the civilians at in whatever facility they were at or yeah, not absolutely. facility but yeah yeah the access tunnels or wherever they were i don't know if i feel the same way as you about like the most heavy episode of the walking dead universe only because like i feel like oh okay if, if i make that statement i have to really like check my records in my filing cabinet of every single heavy horrible thing and then right. like 
stack that against everything else. But let's let's just say I do feel that heaviness and I do feel that burden. You know, especially if, when you're talking about like really, you have to kind of stack that against what it what it means to be a marine. Period. You know, this fraternity of people who have commitment to each other. Yeah, but we found out some news about the tiger and the lamb. So Silas is basically listening to not only music on his headphones. We find out that he's also listening to uh, answering machine messages, essentially from Pappy and Grammy. And so one of the cool things that we learned that Rachel and I both apparently learned at the same time was that the voice actors that played, well, we know one of the voice actors and it was actually, it was Joe from the claimers, Jeff Coburn. You'll remember him because Rick bit his throat out. <laughs> And Daryl ran yeah. with him for a little while, obviously. Well, we know his end. Uh, and so, and also from Je Red, Red Machete, too, if you guys remember that. Oh. You know, he, he, he was there for a little while there, too. We don't really officially know who the female voice actor is, so, you know, Grammy. But uh, it's said that it may be Denise Crosby, who played... Mary. She was Mary from Terminus. Right. The leader, I would say, the of leader. Terminus? I would call her a leader, yeah. Yeah. The one that Carol killed. Recycling actors from the apocalypse, or maybe, maybe, since they were in and around the same region slash time they could have been together and they split apart back back when <laughs> and, and went fair though i mean like you were saying it and i was like eh, i don't know i don't know if, if pappy sounds like a uh, sounds like a pretty decent guy they both sound like pretty decent people i don't think life is good salas we make it good you know i don't see that all of a sudden turning to let's eat people People, are, <laughs> right? Pe people are good, Silas. We eat, we make them good. <laughs> a little smoke and smoking some paprika. <laughs> right? Yeah. Sher Sherry says Silas comes by it naturally. That's that's a little bit of what we were talking about beforehand. I mean, yeah, exactly. I don't I don't think that Climber Joe and Mary with the braid are his grandparents. But how wild would it be? And and to choose these two characters who are villains, right? I mean, they chose villains to do these voices. Is this? Yeah. Does this mean something? Do we take note of this? Or is it just, just well, what it is? <laughs> we'll just say this much. Uh, hey, a new Tales of the Walking Dead describes Silas's grandparents <laughs> turning feral. <laughs> There right. you go. I, I, I really only had a few little comments that I noticed about Elton this episode, and it was mostly just like how adorable he is in like, you know, he's so amazed by Tony's magic and like literally blown away. Like you really see how impressed he is with this. What And what does he say? Uh, entertainment like this has just not been available. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I love it. Yeah. And then uh, he tries to be flirty with hope. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, twice, I think, right? Yeah. A few times, I feel like. I feel like Iris Iris is ribbing Percy, first of all, like about, oh, I I guess I'll read it to you. I'll read the, the art book to you, you know, since you can, you know, implying. Yeah. And, uh, and then later on at the end, Percy's trying his best to, like, nudge Iris, like, yeah, I got something for you. No, I could just give you the gloves now. You know, like, like you may want to give them to me later. It's cold. Blah. It's like, oh, no, 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 it's fine. I'll give it to you now. It's like, okay, dude, I'm trying to ask you out, sort of. Right. Yeah. I mean, was... what does that tell you about the kind of experience Percy has with girls versus the experience Iris has with boys? Right? None. Well, which just does remind me of Elton in the hall ass thing. It's just like, they, they just don't yeah. get it. Very sheltered. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Clueless, Charity so, says. Nisa says. I, I'm so embarrassed for Elton. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed for you. You have to like do the embarrassed for you, Elton. <laughs> Sorry. 
I'm not very good at Valley Girl. <laughs> Get good, because this is just going to keep, the train's going to keep on rolling. <laughs> Pick up the Valley speak. Oh, wait, yes. Yeah, so Sharon she says, said it when she typed it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, Nisa and I, we just have this connection. Yeah. I'm so embarrassed that you and I don't have it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> No, but Sharon, he says something very funny. Uh, Eric was right about, totally right about Elton. Just head over heels. Oh, yeah. Head totally over heels. Totally in love with her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Your, your husband, Eric, I should mention. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, we get to see that a little bit here and there, too. Like, Elton gets drunk and he hugs her. He's like, you know, I, I'm sorry for that experience. And then he gives her the overtures at the end of the episode saying, you know, I'm sorry what happened to you. You know. Before and that, he tries to his jacket after Percy gives Iris his gloves and he's like that oh, was oh is that what I is that what I do here <laughs> <laughs> and she's like no you're, you're good you're good Elton um, I'm fine I'm cool I'm cool I'm so embarrassed for you but I'm cool <laughs> see it either right like she probably doesn't recognize what's happening i mean if she's just as sheltered as, as everybody else she might not see the signs either you know oh i don't know hope picking up on percy's bullshittery i think already tells us how keen she is i think in terms of people's you know who people are i think i think we notice this even from the beginning just mistrustful of kublik from the start all this other stuff i mean she is definitely very keen very shane in that respect but like not shane obviously uh, nobody's shane <laughs> no but, nobody's shane so to answer your question i feel like i mean i think hope does see what elton's doing like plainly oh. and it is making everything you have to make it you have to keep making it hard dwight this is like oh. sherry <laughs> And it's true. It's like every single overture, every single bit of caring he does for her, it really impacts her. He, to the point where she's, she's even almost, after having her conversation with Huck, she even almost spills the beans again. I, I feel like she's about to do Elton, I, and then, you know, moves on. And she decides, because Huck's looking on as kind of like a little reminder. Um, <laughs> and she just says, yeah, she was a great woman, too. Or she, yeah, he's, Elton says the making the impossible possible, like learning this magic and feeling like his, his sister and mom is still alive. Uh, that makes him feel like the impossible is possible. And, and, and Hope just goes, yeah, anything's possible or everything's possible. So Yay. to button that shit up, though, because this, you know, throughout the episode, we're told by Huck to Hope that doing what we do helps everybody else live. You know, we carry the truth so everybody else can live. And it keeps repeating and it keeps repeating. And, you know, given what we said about in, in the last episode about what the pitfalls are of doing that and the effect it has on both the secret keeper and the person where the secret's keep being kept from, have you walked away a little bit more on one side versus the other? What are you feeling by the end of that? That is a really, really, really hard subject to even talk about because I, I can see both sides no good choices. If I were the person with the secret, I would 100% uh, convince myself that that's the right thing to do and, and justify it, just like Huck and Hope are doing. And I think it makes a lot of sense. I think what they're saying does make a lot of sense. Now, if I were Elton and I didn't know the truth, I, I'm the type of person that would also want the truth. I would need the truth. I need that kind of closure, but that's the type of person I am. I don't know if everyone else would feel the same. Some people, maybe they would like to hold on to that false hope or they'd be better off with it. I don't know. But... You've said this before. Oh, it was Sadiq. 
It was Sadiq. Oh, yeah. Yes. That's exactly what it was. Him coming back and telling his version of this story. Mm -mm, no. That's right. That's right. Not okay, now, bro. Now let's, let's <laughs> take that even further. Okay, now that we definitely do know everything about Sadiq, this was actually before that. This was, I think this may have been when we were covering season nine of The Walking Dead, or maybe the beginning of season 10. Sadiq in The Walking Dead can't manage to survive the onslaught from the Whispers in the barn, um, who ended up being Pike victims, uh, and he was the only one to survive to tell the tale and all that. And Rachel had was incensed about that in some senses where like you know i just want to know the truth i don't want to, i don't want to know the flowery version of what you think happened you know i want to know how it happened i want to know you basically said i want to know the ins and outs yes that's who i am as a person i i need i need details to in order to achieve proper closure right or to know how to proceed right mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. it, it, regardless of my the fact or regardless of how it's going to affect me i want to know what i'm operating with or operating on i want to know who these people are yeah like the, it's like the kind of like the survivor's mentality versus you know victim's mentality at the end of the day like seeing this situation with huck and even hope knowing what's at stake with at least hope we'll get back to huck in a second knowing what happened to sadiq by the end of it do you feel the same way i think you do but i just i'm curious wanting to know the truth yes. yeah yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely if i if i were elton or in Elton's place, I would would want to know, but but that's me. I yeah. I can't speak how Elton would would feel or react to that. Yeah, I and I think I, would. I, th I think I'd feel the same way. I th I wrestle with this a little bit more because I have to put myself in a different place somehow, just simply because I, I need to know how it feels like to keep those secrets. Well, when my grandmother passed. So she, has, she had two sisters, one who was in Canada, one who was in Israel. One was older than the other. My Aunt Adele was in, was in Canada, and she passed, actually. It's a rough one, too, because she passed shortly after, and they kept it from my grandmother in Israel. And, and I think she's still, she's still alive. But the younger sister passed um, not too long later, and she never found out. Uh, the, reason why, the reason why they kept it from, from them is because they were elderly, and they didn't want to break their hearts. And at the time, you know, I was e easily uh, was seven years ago, maybe. And I didn't really understand. And I really thought, you know, we really still should tell her. You, we should tell her that her sister passed. You know, she needs to know the truth, blah, blah, blah. And my parents are like, you just don't understand. You know, they're old. They may pass. You know, they, may, they, they may affect them physically, you know. And I had to break even and just say, you know, I, I defer to you. You know, I, I really, I'm not going to go tell her for you. You know, I just, that's not how I do, operate. But, uh, you know, and, and it made me really think about that and you know and you do read things about how people do get physically affected by hearing certain things and there there is the placebo effect is a real thing you know where, where somebody tells you that what they're giving you is medicine and it makes you feel better but it isn't really medicine and it probably wouldn't make you feel better but it does work in some respects so i have to think about that sometimes i also know on the other end of things that sometimes pe people aren't made of glass people are stronger than you can sometimes take them for right mm -hmm. and so you know who are in in a sense who are you to keep something like this from me you know you're not even giving me the choice of or or the challenge of being able to accept this and grow from it and move on from it exactly Th right there's there's that element as well like who are you to decide and someone and, else is deciding what i can handle emotionally and i don't like that that's right not and okay let's take yeah let's take that even to its specifics like you know what is the consequence from telling i feel like it's more selfish to keep 
keep it from him because you're just keeping it from me so that I won't hate you. But you're not even giving me the choice, right? Or or you're not even giving me the truth so I can mourn my mother's loss properly. You know, that's a whole other thing too. So like, you know, in a way, what is selfish and what isn't? You're keeping it from other people so they, they don't have this, like for, let's, in Huck's case, obviously, there is absolutely no reason to keep it from them. She's not giving people the option to judge her fairly. And they might. And all throughout this episode, little bits are dropped of how people, if given half the chance, might actually understand uh, understand you. I mean, even Hope acknowledges the fact that she forgives Amelia for getting scared and shooting her mom. That's a big thing that they have to glide past. But in the name of Ho and like Hope is Huck is literally the wrong person to talk about this with because she's like literally going no 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 no. That doesn't mean shit because you just want to tell her. You just want to tell Elton so that it'll help you. And I'm seeing Hope literally like and I I'm like on my second watch, I'm like seeing Hope literally have this growth development, this major development about forgiving Amelia after reading her things and realizing she's a person um, that that she could have a forgive her for killing her mom. You know, that's a big thing. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I don't know. It's like, how, what do you think about that? Hope definitely grew a lot. Now, whether or not see it, Hope decides ultimately not to tell Elton because she feels like telling him would just would would just be for her to make herself feel better. Right. Um. And and obviously this is uh, because of Huck's influence and obviously that's where Huck stands uh, in her choices. You know, this is this is the stance I'm going to take. I'm going to carry this so that nobody else has to. But Huck basically tells Hope the same thing. Like if you tell him, it's it's just going to make you feel better. Is it really going to make him feel better? And the thing is, we don't we don't know how it's going to affect Elton and Hope's not giving him the chance to find out, you know, she's basically, you, you just said it perfectly. Hope is denying Elton the chance to mourn his mother. And that is selfish, I, right. I, I think, but she's convinced and, herself and she's justified her, her decision. So I think she's going to stick to it at least for a while. Right. And as we mentioned in the last episode, the, the counter effect of this is how keeping those secrets. And we all know the weird thing about PTSD is that keeping those secrets and keeping them to yourself mm -hmm. makes it so that it affects you in very negative ways. Like soldiers do keep these things inside and it ends up affecting them physically, emotionally. They start crumbling. I mean, if you take a couple steps back and realize what's going on here, you could say one thing, which is you tell Elton and then it affects him and it makes you makes him judge you poorly. This is the, the more selfish part of keeping that secret is that people judge you unfairly. The possibility of people are judging you unfairly. I think it's more selfish than there's a horrible truth, which is the facts, which is my mom died. And that also is selfish. Some people want to know. And you're a kid, you're, you can survive this. But again, I think some people do that because, you know, because you're kids, you might form bad I don't know, inclinations, things that you grow up with that stick with you, like trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, so, and I, I think that's a conscious thing. People are aware of that. Like, if I tell him now at this age, you know, it'll be part of his makeup as an adult. But then again, like, the, everybody's had to survive something. As we realize further into this, these episodes, like, Elton doesn't tell everybody what he went through as a child. Maybe he will eventually. Feels like maybe the more they start talking about their childhood, what they've had to go through the night the sky fell, and maybe throughout, like, I think maybe it'll make it possible 
to open up, don't you think? Maybe? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Just to hammer the point, the PTSD factor, Huck, this is a common behavior tactic, behavioral tactic to keep things inside, to keep everybody else safe. And I, and I feel terrible for her because she's not only had to do this in Afghanistan, which is what we learn, but she has had to do this at home now. And this idea of her having to keep the horrible, ugly truth from everybody so that they can rest easy at night, their head on a pillow safely, softly, soundly, so that, you know, she keeps the monsters at bay, you know, so that everybody else can play. That's really literally what pe our people in the military are told. We do this so that everybody else has their, you know, so everybody can have their freedoms and liberties. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think this is a good recipe, though. I, I can't see this breaking any in any good way. No. Because, because it no. does affect them. Hope's way too young to have to carry all that. You know, it's definitely going to eat away at her. Yeah. And if, and maybe their flex of is true. Like, people worry so much about how it'll affect Elton. Nobody really, yeah. Huck especially, obviously, she's not going to recognize how this is, how terribly this is going to affect Hope moving forward because this has been a part of her since she was 10. It's going to, it's further reinforced now that she's 16, 17, let's say. And that's going to be a part of her makeup. This is the lesson that she's going to learn moving forward in life. I mean, Huck wasn't all that much older. I mean, right. we were, we were just musing over the fact that she might have been like around 20, 21 when this all happened. And yet, yeah, she's probably about 30 now, you know, mm -hmm. and, and dealing with a kid who's like 16 could be old enough to be her daughter. I don't know. Maybe she had a thing, uh, had a, had yeah. a puck for you know, adoption, whatever. Uh, I would, <laughs> I don't know. well, and, and, um, uh, Felix had a birthday at the beginning of the series. Did they mention how, what, at what birthday it was? The birthday card that Iris draws for him, like his birth, we saw his birthday uh, happen, at the, but did I, they I, say I what birthday it was? I didn't see his age. No, I would believe he's 20, 26. I know? definitely believe that he is younger than, than Huck for sure. Cause it mm -hmm. seems like the, when the night sky fell, like he, first of all, he was away. It seemed like he was around the university area, but uh, he had nowhere to go. Like you, the references being dropped are the, like of his days on the streets after his parents kicked him out. That wasn't the night the sky fell. That was, you know, so there was some things that happened between the time he got kicked out till the time he decided to come back to his parents' house and maybe after, you know, after the night sky, the night the sky I fell. So there's at least two years, let's say. I don't know. Maybe he's about 28. So it was his 16th birthday, let's say. Maybe he was 16 when he got kicked out. I remember specifically when he was talking about it, he was saying, I have a job now, which means he, it sounded like he got his papers to actually work at 16. Okay. So, something like that. Because, so, you know, I don't know if you had to do this when you were like around that age, but I had to get, I had to get papers in order to work, you know, like not in your uncle's store kind of thing. You like to actually work in a, in another place to get hired at, uh, as a mm -hmm. minor in like an organization. So we had to get like uh, working papers and, okay. um, you know, the ability to work even for like a summer job. We just can work at 16 here. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sorry, no. I don't remember having paperwork filled out or anything. Well, I, I worked, I started working at 14. <laughs> oh yeah. See, I was 16. So yeah, 16, you can actually start working, but, uh, I, I feel like maybe he was even younger. Like maybe, maybe Felix was like only, maybe he was about 15, 14. It could have been okay. that he was younger. Either way, it sounds like he, he's definitely younger than Huck. Um, mm -hmm. and she has a little bit more experience both in battle and combat and how fitting that she is actually teaching the kids how to fight too, like hope, especially. And it feels like we we're on the same page on that. There is more damage being done by keeping the secret versus telling the secret. Well, what do you think? I think so. I, I definitely think so. I mean, it's it's a, a, the better of two horrible situations, right? The, yeah. the best of the worst is what we're dealing with. So yeah. there's no good 
choice. Just, there really is none. Yeah. Bo both fall on the side of pretty bad choices, but yeah, one has a possible better outcome because, and to button this whole conversation up, the very thing that I was afraid of is starting to kind of take hold. The impossible is possible with Elton saying that, mm -hmm. and then really starting to believe that his mother is alive and maybe his sister as well. And hope is just going along for the ride. And I feel like this is going to have negative consequences. Like, I feel like this show takes you down this certain path from a perspective, from, from Huck's perspective and even hopes a little bit of how keeping that secret, you know, keeps people alive and pe people safe and they can sleep with their heads on the pillows safe at night and everything like that. And all of a sudden at the end of the episode, it drops a bomb on you, like a, like a silent bomb, a bomb that you can't hear coming. And that's Elton saying, yeah, you know, oh yeah. And I'm starting to believe that she is alive. You know, it, he, when he first explained this, he says, I know it sounds crazy and it makes no, there's no reason to believe that she is alive. But now he's like, oh yeah, she's alive. She's alive. I'm going to find her. I'm going to find her. Every time hope agrees with him it's sort of reinforcing that false hope that he has right. and that, right. that's damage that's the damage that she's doing every time she says yeah it's possible when she knows the truth that's right yeah, that's she's gonna end up hurting him more because eventually i don't know i i'd like to say eventually she's gonna have to tell him the truth but i mean maybe she doesn't maybe he just finds out oh man the show is gonna find a way to back hope in a corner and i wonder what she's going to do i really do mm -hmm. wonder i really do i i it's like one of those unwinnable situations you know it's going to happen we just want yeah. to know how how it happens and what happens afterwards yeah i had a, a thought pop into my head after since she's had this conversation with huck do you think she'll even bring it up with iris now meaning the At reason all. why she, she was coming for iris to talk about it some more is so that she could probably tell her a little bit more about it and now that she's spoken with huck she might not bother right which right. is interesting because there's that scene that one scene in the back of the pickup truck where iris is saying i feel like we're changing mm -hmm. right and then huck is like sorry hope is like it's what just the beginning or something like that. I feel like it's just the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. And it mm -hmm. so is. <laughs> It really is. It is. Yeah. And and by the way, Sharon's response to me saying, oh, it's like a silent bomb that Elton drops on <laughs> us as the viewers. She, she goes, silent but deadly. Potentially. <laughs> <Perfect>. Yeah. <laughs> just like just like Owens is beer farts. Anyway, <laughs> uh, back in the first home base that they find, they go through the actual CRM map and uh, Tony actually figures out the, the decoder. These the shade squares that we were talking about, sort of, that Althea mm -hmm. finds the shade square in the maps and how it actually works. Tony actually finds out that, yeah, you, if you put, point it in a certain direction with light and you shine it on a map, it actually shows you what these symbols represent and what, what they are, you know? Some of them are random, some of them don't do anything, and then some of them, when you shine the decoder on, will show you exactly what's there. But yeah, and we find out what the symbol for oil, uh, like a filling station, and we also find out the symbol for genetic research facilities. But what's interesting is that if you go back to the map, the big map that that's shown, by the way, of in order of left to right, let me give it, give it to you from your perspective left to right is like <laughs> illinois indiana ohio which was my big circle and then Pennsylvania, etc. There are def there are definitely oil drops everywhere, but if you look very closely, there's also genetic research facilities too. Because you see Along the little that path. yeah, you see the little three lines or like three lines here, a couple little lines there, and another big three lines in that the double which, helix. Yeah, which well, if you put the right symbol on, you'll see the double helix as well. Oh, okay, okay. Mm. Yeah, so if you have that decoder, you'll see the the research facilities, right? Okay. 
Yeah. So there, yeah. Are, there are other genetic research facilities too, mm-hmm. not just the one in New York, not the, not just the one in Ithaca, mm-hmm. New York, which is what we find out later on. Obviously, we find we find this out later a little bit more because Iris takes out her own map of New York, uses one of the shade squares, matches it up with the one, the only one that's in um, Ithaca, New York. So now we know exactly where uh, Leopold, I was gonna say Leop- Leopold fits, uh, Leopold Bennett. <laughs> is actually in. Um, we also see them celebrating. Obviously, the kids are up there upstairs playing Truth or Dare, but while the kids are playing Truth or Dare, Felix and Tony have this interesting conversation, and, and there's a shit ton of foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tony's basically talking about family, how Percy came to be with him, his sister, son. They got a divorce. He got custody of the kid. I guess it was a very messy divorce, and I guess Tony got guardianship or something. And it sounds like his mom died, Is that if that's... If I'm not mistaken, at some point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, that's how I, what I understood. And I talk about silent but deadly, Sharon. Uh, <laughs> and you don't know it until it's finally there. And and one of those things is when you start realizing how much you care for somebody, you do anything for them, right? And I feel like that's a crazy, crazy foreshadowing, not only for Tony by by the end of the episode, but also yeah. Ter- oh, okay. So. Okay, this is what I wasn't sure about. So Tony, Charity points out correctly, Tony said Percy's mom split in the last episode. So yeah, so I guess I guess she ran away. Okay. Uh, so I thought he meant split by like, like split like from her husband. <laughs> but I think that that could be also true. All, all, that could be true also, like the, the dad left and then she eventually left Percy with him. And uh, he, t- he took a guardianship and all that. But, um, but I feel like that's also like foreshadowing too about what's going on with um tony and felix like f- do you think maybe that felix is going to have to face a choice where like he has to give him his life up for the kids oh gosh I hope this is what i've been saying it. from the beginning <laughs> yeah i know oh i know i know yeah i i think i i like the parallel between um this scene that this scene uh showed me was that tony and felix both have chosen family right these aren't their actual children, they sort of chose to be a part of this family. And so Tony and Felix are, are the same that way, sort of thrown into these parental positions. And so I think Felix can really relate to Tony that way too. And I don't know, maybe he, um, because he can see himself in Tony, he trusts him maybe a little bit more, but you know, that, that doesn't necessarily always be a good thing. <laughs> and maybe rock bottom too. I mean, both of these characters hit their rock bottom, you know, parents not loving you, f- kicking you out, and then finding family, like Leo. He does mention Leo a couple times throughout this episode and how he saved him, you know, from himself, let's say. I hope Tony's death is not a foreshadow for Felix's. <laughs> You know what's funny is that like what makes me crazy a little bit is is uh knowing what we know about Honey, Fear the Walking Dead's uh fifth episode with with Dwight and Sherry, how yeah. you know how uh, Dwight and Sh- Dwight is talking about his escape plan and it makes me feel very funny knowing that and thinking, "Oh, is that really Tony because his face is bashed in by the end of the episode beyond recognition." Right. So I, I kind of same thing when Iris walks in and goes, Tony, I'm like, how can you tell? As a Silas advocate, I want to throw my hands up and say, this was all staged. Percy and Tony did this on purpose. They found somebody who looked like Tony. They they did this. Tony and, and Percy are, are up to no good and they're framing Silas. And then I'm like, okay, but, but how do they know that that's like Silas's signature move, right? Like they don't know these things and... 
my 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 stomach hurts. I'm so scared for Silas right now. And I just yeah, want to know what happened. <laughs> yeah, my stomach hurts too. You know, what's interesting is that you see, you remember we were talking about that awkward scene between Percy trying to woo Iris into his, into the back of the pickup truck with, which what well, obviously we see is the, his, his interpretation of the Louvre, you know, mm -hmm. having Mona Lisa up front and center off to the side was Eugene uh, Delacroix's, um, leading the people right liberty leading the people which basically depicts uh the french the french's not first revolution but like the uh i mean i would say the second revolution yeah it the the painting itself hails to the original revolution um but was it charles the the 10th this is really what Charles X, removing Charles X, represented. Uh, Régine Delacroix was actually born uh, around the Enlightenment period, where um, the First Revolution took place. So he was he was he existed through the period of Enlightenment, and then he painted his painting, uh, and that signified the Romantic period, basically. So we're post-revolution, we're in freedom, you know, freer times, and this depicts a Romantic era leading back, you know, looking back at those times, you know, using the style of the Romantics to look back and so he kind of birthed the romantic period which is interesting you know looking back at a prior time in this liberty that is the apocalypse we do that a lot in this in this series you know we we look at what we have now see the beauty of what we have now but we also look back and sometimes and see what romantically of weekends and <laughs> and traffic and and things you know to the point where by the way when they're showing not that I'm gonna, we're going to talk about this just yet but the um i remember when when huck sees the television screen and garnet medical center which again we'll we'll get into on the TV screen. There's a woman pushing a stroller across just across the little portion on the left of the screen behind the reporter, okay. and that reminded me of the shadow puppet of the the mom and dad oh, pushing yeah. the stroller. Yeah, was, that's a little funny thing that if you don't catch it, you you'll miss it. You you gotta have yeah. like a bigger screen and actually see it. I gotta go back and read what Sharon D and Nisa are saying about the whole Silas situation because I I 100% agree. So Sharon D says they're they're con men, right? Nisa saying. Silas's hands aren't hurt enough to have caused that damage, and I and I see what you're saying. It looks it looks more like someone smeared blood on his hands. At, you know, they there were shoe prints leading up to the bathroom stall, and he was clearly drunk, right? I mean, mm -hmm. are, no one's disputing that, right? Well, that, that, that's why I brought up that's why I brought up Percy and Iris that whole Louvre scene because. Just before mm -hmm. that, when Silas, while Silas is looking on and looking at Percy, the camera pans to the bottles of booze. Yes. Deliberately. And so we know that's happening. At it, right. I also thought um, Percy deliberately lured Iris out of the, the facility to the truck so that she didn't, so she Dead didn't in walk way. in on yeah, so she didn't get in the way or walk in on what was happening. Um, Sharon D points out that they're experts at reading people. You are absolutely correct. I, I mentioned, you know, how do they know that Silas tends to beat up faces until they're unrecognizable? But, you know, they were drinking. Anybody could have slipped and whispered in Percy's ear about Silas's past. I, that's, that's absolutely true. possible. I 100% agree. Silas is innocent. Whatever happened, I do not believe Silas had anything to do with it. And if he did, I think think it was set up he was um he was set up to 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 do this if he is the one that that punched this this face i also hope it's not Tony. i don't know i'm so scared. right right and that's that's the thing okay so let me let me bring you into uh, let me point out a couple facts too the thing that gets iris to wake up when she falls asleep in the back of the truck if you look at the subtitles is yes, gla no, glass breaking footsteps yep. footsteps departing. scurrying away, yeah footsteps departing so that happened for sure yep. how many footsteps we don't know 
<laughs> is it a, is it four foot is it is it two sets of footsteps i don't know oh wow sharon is saying silas we, equals janice uh, we do see uh blood drops you know from the bathroom to this broken open window and then we see footsteps from the body to the bathroom stall who knows i mean silas might have even walked in after the fact and just found this mess and then went and hid <laughs> yeah yeah i i that's the thing like i think he was definitely set up i i i don't think the blood smears i don't think that's i don't think that was planted I think he probably discovered the body, to be mm -hmm. honest. And, mm -hmm. and, and, but the definitely the big, the setup part was definitely the wrench for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Leaving that there. We've only seen Silas take down one walker with that wrench so mm -hmm. far, right? So the other kills have been with his bare hands. <laughs> well, one that we know of and the other maybe, but yeah, um, meaning his past. But the one thing that we do see constantly, the only thing that we know constantly is that Silas is afraid of not only killing the dead, technically, probably still, um, it, but he's definitely, definitely scared of ki killing the living, mm -hmm. you know, but even the dead. And so that's what makes this kind of more of a ticker on Team Silas on him not doing it too i am so, so team Cyrus. yeah i'm too and but you know what it's funny that they're really painting us down this really interesting path of having enough evidence to believe that he might have done it and simply because in the sneak peek they will show us a little bit more of what happened to silas in his past i, so I almost threw up after watching the sneak peeks for next week right because it'll make you feel almost impossible to think otherwise right like i'm i'm oh it hurts my stomach to just even think about what i saw sharon yeah sharon is saying again janice this is another callback to janice in, in that situation being a scapegoat and this is uh, i'll go chris hansen on this silas is innocent he is the victim it's <laughs> the victim i agree i think yeah. everybody anybody who thinks silas did this isn't paying attention to this show <laughs> yeah i feel like if they really do go the whole uh they planted a walker and smashed its face in that would be really really interesting in terms of tying these two shows together like fear the walking dead and the walking dead uh, sorry walking dead world beyond i feel like that would be really cool and i feel like it's almost unfair too like that these now this is like the negative effect of having these these easter eggs pop up on both <laughs> both series too so mm -hmm. I, it just doesn't make sense though right and why would percy run away you know yeah i, I Completely. can't think of Right. I can't think of a, a reason that Percy and Tony would, would stage this. Unless, I, I mean, the only other thing I can think of is that they're all in on it. Like, he thinks that they're all in on it. They're all horrible. But I don't think that's the case. You know, I'm saying Percy. Like, oh, they killed my, they killed my dad, oh. my guardian. And, you know, how right. am I supposed to live with, they're not going to believe me. If that really is Tony right yeah let's assume that it is right let's let's play that experiment yeah. <laughs> um but but like you're right i mean luring iris into the trailer never showing up there's something going on here it could be deliberate and it could be that a grift as well you know it could be something like that anyway luring him to the safety not only like ha saying that hey we're gonna stick around a little bit longer aka we're not i mean one of the first things that tony says is that we're just gonna continue conning people before he discovers that oh we're gonna stick around you know felix kind of is like oh you're gonna do that oh i'm used to i i did that too that whole thing yep i mean saying they're gonna stick around for the long haul is perfect misdirect yeah oh well that's interesting so so sharon is like leaving him tied so part of the sneak peek is sharon he says is they leave him tied out in the open air at night and this is, looks like the episode's continuing from that moment too so they tie him up right away um sharon also says because they pegged silas to the problem in the group so he needed to be sidelined but let me take that a little bit further what if what if that is part of the grift what if per percy doesn't run away and they run away because it doesn't look like that 
yeah, he doesn't he doesn't run away with the truck. That's one thing. So what's the purpose? Right. Oh yeah, because Iris is in it, right? So what's interesting is that maybe there's more to this con than we realize. Maybe we're just trying to take out Silas. Maybe that's all they're trying to do. Could be. I mean, what sort of threat besides romantic does Silas play? Why would they need to take out Silas? Simply because Silas is the one sort of butting heads with these two, saying they don't belong. I mean, is that really a threat? I think so. I think Silas is the only one, only one that doesn't really fall for any of this. He's not up. He is not feeling the magic. Her, though. Hope's kind of calling out her bullshit out too. So why wouldn't she be a threat? You know what I wonder? Because maybe she's next. Because okay. because yeah, I think that was maybe the test. Or or they he they might keep her around because like I said in the other episode, sometimes you need that character to come out and call you on the bullshit, right? So that you can misdirect them some more. Like, oh you caught me on you caught me. I was caught in a I, lie. Right, right, right. But otherwise harmless. Little do they know, right? But <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, don't judge Hope. Don't judge Hope by the cover. <laughs> and actually, let's even go further with that. Percy, it doesn't has no idea what she, the secret that Hope is keeping. He knows right away that there is something and exploits it when he when he mm -hmm. digs further. I mean, in fact, he basically controlled that game. Can we? take just a moment and talk about the look on Iris's face when Percy asks that question and Hope looks at her directly uh, for some sort of help. Like, what do I and do here? Iris, and Iris basically blows her off. I mean, that was a lot. There was a lot being said there with no words. Was but I the only one that, did, that saw that? <laughs> I didn't, but I all, the only thing I really recognized was that Iris came in with the clinch saying, oh, that's true. That was the worst thing. You know, like she's right. covering for her. Sure. Right. Later, later, but when right, Percy first just after. Asked her that, right, when Percy first asked that question, Hope Hope looks at Iris. Iris looks at Percy, then looks back at Hope. Like, what are you gonna say? Well, and what do you feel Hope is saying in the? Sorry, Iris is saying in that instance. I I don't exactly know, but the look on her face is not kind. I I did not like the expression on her face. It didn't. If I were Hope, I wouldn't be feeling good about having support from my sister in that moment. That's that's all I could read. Hmm. Well, actually. Nisa is saying something interesting too. They saw Walter getting hope. They might think oh, she's harmless. Okay. Right, right. That's interesting. Because Walter got the jump on her. She might not be a physical threat. Sure. Okay. Right, right. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and yeah, you do need that exploit. But yeah, I, 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 I'll follow what you say. I'll keep that in my memory banks though about Iris. Okay, okay. And it could have been like... <laughs> It might not have anything to do with anything. That and it could be just her being upset, like, just, like, with the question, like, and not knowing what to do, but not having, but can't obviously show that they don't know what to do. Right. Or, and this is Percy's strong point, he may see both of these faces and think, oh, she knows that secret. You know, Iris knows that secret that Hope's keeping. Okay. <laughs> Which makes him probably think, I either can't trust them, or now that I know, I, I know what to do later. You know, and so there's something going on here. I, I like that. And, you know, what's interesting is that Tony does tell Felix to hang back. It's like, let them have when their fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. maybe we do have enough evidence to kind of safely say that this is a, the big grift. I just don't know what the end results are, are are yet. I can't I can't see what their goal is yet by doing well, this. Well, Silas is the only one thus, thus far who has called them on their bullshit, not participated. Mm -hmm. And maybe, this is something I kind of brought up in the last episode, Silas is maybe one of those people that they wouldn't normally grift. You know, like those dangerous people. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. oh, I'm not going to fuck with these guys. You know, because uh, they don't know him. They have inklings of him. Maybe you're right. Maybe they said something about what may have they have heard happen to him and all that stuff. And, you know, when you're dealing with a wild card, you know, things that you can't predict and things you can't read, you know, that automatically signals danger. If I can't predict the outcome, you can't predict the success of your grift, then what's the point? So let's take him off the board and I can deal with the pieces that I know I can move around. And then, you know, they can come back and go, hey, yeah, I 
saw exactly what happened. They killed Tony, blah, 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 you know, etc. But what is the long con? Because is Tony just going to hang back? Real Tony? Or maybe this is all Percy's machinations. You know what I mean? Which really is disturbing. Let's say if that really is Tony. And Tony is Tony is the one who is really dead. And, you know, Percy is using his con ability to basically take control of the board, be the only grifter. Yeah. You know, kids in the apocalypse, right? I mean, do you see... We don't really know much about Tony and Percy. So you're saying that per, uh, per, you see Percy capable of killing his uncle for necessary reasons? Yeah, maybe. So Sharon D's saying, uh, Iris hasn't been supportive since Hope told her the secret. I, I don't think that's true, though. I don't think we really know anything. All we're picking up are... They haven't talked then. about it. That's true. Hope wants to hash it out. And Iris keeps saying, oh, you know, later, oh, later. But that was just the one time. We got a resolution by the end of it. You know, I didn't know what you were going through, you know, etc. I didn't know how much time you lost. And like we said in this episode, like, I don't think she's going to go to Iris anymore for talking further. There might be a back and forth yeah. where Iris does want to talk to Hope a little bit more about it. And, uh, and Hope won't talk about it. But let's just say what Nisa says is that Tony to drunk Felix. Yeah. So what's the deal with Silas? He's a, he's a very quiet type and, Fe and so felix tells him i think she's giving us an example of what what could have how tony and percy could have gotten information about silas there is a voiceover of felix saying you know fresh start and now he's going to get one silas and so that could be maybe even a flashback to tony's conversation with him that could be true and that's mm -hmm. not crazy scenario this all leads to down a certain path that if these two were still grifting the gang taking silas off the board is a prudent one because now you can manipulate these people without the threat of strength unless hope decides to do something or yeah. huck you know yeah i like i like how you pointed out though that like H uh hope is calling them on their bullshit but it's almost like percy's deciding what hope is going to call out right like he mm -hmm. he's, he's saying exactly what he wants hope to call so he can still manipulate her if that changes then she might be in danger but i i definitely see what you're saying now about silas being being a threat he's the one not falling in line not believing um, these things. And so eventually he may be able to get into other people's heads and start putting doubt in their minds too about these two people. So, yeah. and that would be dangerous down the road. Yeah. He doesn't yeah, even fall Silas, for drinking alcohol. Right. Sharon, says Silas can't be manipulated. I, yeah, I agree. And, and Percy would see that, that he can't be manipulated. And like Dave says, take him off the board. <laughs> yeah. And Nisa says, hope is very much dealing with her own stuff, not paying attention to, or, and Huck maybe. So yeah, I think that really True. wraps that up though. I mean, if this is a grift, taking Silas off the, off the board is prudent. If it's not, Percy's running away. <laughs> and we all right. think the worst of Silas, which is interesting. But if it, this is something Percy solely thought up, killing, actually killing Tony yeah. and, and moving on, you know, and, and I don't know with what, how, what the purpose of that is coming back and maybe right. saying, Silas, Silas killed my uncle. Meanwhile, he did. And then why? Right. right? Why? That's, right. that's the big that's thing. That's what I'm stuck on. Why? What is the motive here? Yeah, what did is... you, you watch the sneak peeks. Did you see Percy in any of them? I, I was so nope. focused on Silas. I didn't pay attention. I don't remember seeing him. Yeah. Silas, Silas flashback, uh, Elton yeah. going to Silas saying, they're going to leave you here. Yeah. Felix, oh, oh Felix God. voiceover, uh, fresh start. Now he's going to get one. It was not that much to look ahead to. Right. So right. Iris says something and it feels like she's almost offending Silas, but in the sneak peek, Nisa says Silas can't, Silas can't tell Iris what she wants wants because he doesn't remember what happened all right before i move on to from this specific piece i do want to say that we do know i do know where where they're actually at when you know the place where they're at discovering um tony's body the laurel point country club it's just outside pittsburgh oh <laughs> there's only so one 
I found it just southwest, south, sorry, southeast of Pittsburgh, not that far away. Yeah, they're making some progress, at least throughout the map. You know, I think the, the refueling station was definitely near in Ohio, and they drove through and they went to Laurel. Because again, they're keeping off the 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 interstate. If they go on the side streets, they, they can actually make it there safely without being picked up by CRM, mm-hmm. you know, because they have the map now. They have, they have an idea of how they operate. During the Truth or Dare scene... A song is being played. It's called Mania by Last Year. I think I was so upset about how loud the music was. I didn't even pay attention to what song it was. I was so angry with with the volume. I I was wondering where it even came from. Like, to be honest, like, where is this being broadcasted? (laughs) Like, oh, it just seems to be there. I don't don't know. It definitely sounded like they were playing music, though, right? Because then when we're downstairs with Tony and Felix, it's sort of muffled. So they're definitely playing music. Yeah, Sharon points out, right. Yeah, Percy's tape player. player? I I I think I saw him... I think I saw him put it on. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. In the scene, right it's before they play Truth or Dare. Yeah. It's way it's too, loud. too loud. Way think, too loud. Think about the walkers. Gosh. And so here are the lyrics. Uh, I've got a feeling I've never felt. I could run a million miles just to hear you make a sound. <laughs> Talk about lo- loudness, right? And I never want to come <laughs> down. I'm not going to sleep tonight. I've never felt so alive. And the cor- this is the chorus. I'm in mania. I'm in mania. Out of my mind. Out of my head. And I'm never going to sleep again. I'm in mania. So basically kids being kids. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm never gonna sleep we're gonna live forever okay and then like will you will you catch me when i fall i'm afraid of heights and anything is possible tonight but i'll be fine i'll be just fine no reason to be afraid and no i'm not insane uh i'm where i'm where i've been before so deep deep inside my world beyond and i'm not i'm losing all control and i'm never coming home that's interesting that's an interesting lyric last part sounded like it was talking to silas right oh i you're thinking silas i'm thinking of i'm thinking of huck and you know like I'm, i've been where i've never been before deep deep inside my world you know and deep and lost in my secrets mm-hmm. and i'm losing all control and i'm never coming home like the idea of that you know i can't go home now i've done all this wrong or whatever could apply to, to both huck or silas well tell me why you think silas and I, I agree with you keep in mind but you explain from your perspective well i mean obviously the secret of of, of what happened with his father. He's sort of living in, in this his own little world right now. He feels like his he's in his own little world watching Iris and Percy have their little whatever's going on. And so that makes Silas feel extra isolated. And then by the end of the episode, we see him lose his mind or they want us to believe he lost his mind when he killed, killed Tony. I'm using a lot of quotes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's good, it's good to point out for the audio crowd. <laughs> right. Keep that in mind. Right. <laughs> Just when you were saying that, it made me think of Silas. And maybe reasons. even Elton. Elton, it makes me, should, should, everybody should be thinking this is Elton more than anybody else. This is drunk Elton. The first, the first part made me think of Elton, <laughs> right? Like running a thousand miles to hear you make a noise, or like how much he loves hope. <laughs> yeah. But the, I never want to come down. Happened. I'm not going to sleep tonight. I never felt so alive. But even more, like, uh, let's go back to hope. I'm afraid of heights and anything is possible. I'm afraid of heights and anything's possible tonight. So, so what Huck says to hope as she comes out onto the roof you shouldn't be on this roof drunk you shouldn't be up here at all right and he said i'm so glad he's an asshole also because i agree i dislike percy with my whole heart (laughs) yeah i don't know how to feel about it and it's the reason why only reason why i say that is because it's really really natural for us to hate anybody outside our main group it makes sense (laughs) right is that not true it's very true Oh my god, you're laughing at Nisa's thing too? Nisa's saying, I've never felt so alive, in quotes. It's Tony! Tony! Oh my god. I've never felt so dead. (laughs) 
<laughs> in quotes. I dislike Percy because of how he's making Silas feel. That's my only reason for hating him as much as I do. <laughs> right. I don't trust that feeling and because I have the same feeling. And I feel like that every now and again, he does kind of shoot a short glance over to Silas. Am I not wrong, Percy? Maybe. I don't, it was hard to tell who was looking at who in this episode, to be honest. There were a few glances that I thought were... Like, at one point, I thought Felix caught the way Silas was looking at Iris and Percy. But then he gets this big shit grin on his face. So then I'm like, okay, that's obviously not what he was looking at. Oh, no, so he was looking I, at the methods. It, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. It, it's hard to say who was looking at who in this episode. Yeah. Oh, and maybe even the tell for... Percy, he's driving a wedge between Silas and Iris. Mm -hmm. For sure. That's, that's all about, this whole thing has been about driving a wedge between Silas and Iris. It's not even about Iris at all as the optimist. Think about it. He wanted Silas to speak up when, when the questions were getting too hot. He wanted to see at what point where he would say, stop it. Interesting. Yeah. How, how, how far before Silas steps in? I, I like what Nisa's saying too. It's like Percy's throwing these looks at Silas on purpose. Right, because sure. Nisa's on the same page sure. as me. <laughs> yeah I right like you. hey like hey hey i got your girl yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah i know what you're saying charity leave my cyrus alone <laughs> hashtag cyrus oh, i'm right there that's right get away from cyrus and iris silas and iris <laughs> Yeah. When when Tony is describing the card trick that he shows Elton, well, one of the notes that Sharon left, he particularly uses the Queen of Hearts. Uh, and as we find out later in the episode, Huck's name is Jennifer Malik. Now, Jennifer mm -hmm. meaning fair as in beautiful. That's what it means. And that's why everybody's named Jennifer, because they all think their kids are beautiful, even though they're not. Moving along. <laughs> I graduated um, with like 13 Jennifers. <laughs> right. And Malik, Malik is actually Arabic, by the way. Malik, that means king. In Hebrew, it's called Malik, so it's the same origin. So uh, so she essentially is the fair queen. And obviously the queen, the card that Tony is using with, and eventually Elton is using with Hope, Wait, is the queen of hearts. So the queen of hearts is... King? Well, Malik means king. Malik queen, means, or means just king. What? It means king. Oh, But okay. still royalty, you know, the, the idea of royalty. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. A female queen would be Malka in Hebrew. But anyway, um, the Queen of Hearts does have a representation, and uh, Sharon Dio actually was kind enough to point them out. The Queen of Hearts represents sincere and loving woman of tender heart. For a man, this card means his sweetheart lover, or a woman he will marry, Elton. Uh, for mm -hmm. a woman, she signifies a sincere friend or nearest relative. Hope and Huck? What? <laughs> Uh, anyway, since your friend or relative, more generally, the Queen of Hearts evokes the feelings of unconditional and caring love. So that, I thought that was kind of sweet, too. Mm -hmm. And Nisa's mentioning also, just like Sharon D, I think, may have mentioned in her notes, that um, Jennifer Malik's friend, or maybe more, is named uh, Sergeant Drake. Sergeant Drake, meaning Drake is dragon, and she has, she has to eventually slay the dragon to save those people that were, that were mm -hmm. being threatened to die by the hands of the Marines that she represented. Oh, yes, and of course, Sharon, you're getting your one Game of Thrones reference, uh, obligatory Game of Thrones reference, when Melisandre seduces Gendry in season three to get his, his king's blood, quote-unquote. She talks about sacrificing lambs, how you don't let them see the knife because fear taints the meat. And that's what Huck is doing with Walter and Hope. You know, Malik equals king. You know, we should we should mention this now. So one of Sharon D's notes is Ithaca, New York. But I always thought Ithaca was a funny name for a town in, in New York State. When we have Rome, New York as well. Rome apples. What's interesting about Ithaca is Ithaca is the home of Ulysses. 
This Ulysses goes on a journey, obviously, the Odyssey, Odysseus. <laughs> so obviously representative of a journey and the end of Odysseus's journey. So the home of home of the Odyssey. That's the that's what Ithaca means, the home of the Odyssey. So this has always been the goal. I think the the, the goal of let's pick a state let's pick a city in New York <laughs> that is the perfect representation of this whole hero's journey that these kids are on. So I thought that was kind of a nice little reference. I'd always yeah. I, I didn't, I wasn't going to look it up too. And I, I thought, oh, Ithaca, how telling, how telling because where Jennifer is based with Sergeant Drake, well, let's say, let's say her proper designation, Lance Corporal Malik and Sergeant Drake are based in Middleton, New York. How do we know that? Or in and around Middleton, New York. We know that because Garnett Medical Center, the TV program that pops up while they are hanging out, that's actually in Middleton, New York. That's the sixth facility that has been locked out for patients because they are in lockdown and they're not accepting any more patients. So I see the Melisandre reference. So Huck basically talks Walter down, even though she knows that's what she's going to have to do is kill him. But rather than scare mm -hmm. him, she does it gently, even with like a caress and doesn't let, doesn't let him see the knife, quote unquote, her gun until, mm -hmm. you know, didn't let hope see it either i like that the whole time um hope or huck is talking to walter she's saying um you know i can i can save you i've seen this you know we can i can res rescue you basically you know we'll get you through this and i think in in her mind she really believed that not that she was going to rescue him but that she was going to give him mercy and that was yeah. her way of saving him it definitely plays with the theme that keeps repeating through this episode is how sometimes we do have to lie to our friends let's say but also lie in general to keep everybody else alive this is where personality i think it's showing that some people people will lie to save others and and how that could be beneficial but i also think we're seeing the other side of that too we're seeing the harm it can, it can do just the scenario what huck was saying to walter was obviously a lie she ended up killing him i think hope and huck are going to keep this situation to themselves i don't think they're going to share exactly what happened and how that went down with anybody else so right. yet another secret that they're going to keep between them well, and mm -hmm. i i think all these little secrets are going to start adding up and eating away at them and i think we're going to see the the downside to keeping all these secrets yeah or i mean i i even think that giving hope another secret for to keep other than hers her own is okay. maybe a way to not think about her own as severely that's i I, okay. I was trying to figure out how this makes everybody hold together and there's something about fraternity this is going to lead me into talking about huck huck's past but the idea of a shared trauma does if they can talk about it continue if they can continue to talk about it amongst themselves something that sergeant drake was not willing to do even got angry doing it uh, when when huck tries to bring it up too drake shuts okay. her down you know and there's a reason for that but but maybe this is a, a way for them to actually change the nature of their relationship by having and talking about a shared trauma i mean by the end of the episode huck is looking on while elton and hope are talking she is the first one to say hope you're with me mm -hmm. you know after the talk on the roof you hope you're with me i'm gonna watch over you i'm not gonna be like sergeant drake in this episode you know in, in my flashbacks <laughs> like i'm verbalizing <laughs> it um you are with me i'm going to take care of you we are going to take care of each other i've told you well i don't think she does tell her her own secret yet but maybe this is a way for her to finally unburden and become the light you know, hope could be huck's light too so maybe instead of telling iris woo, i just thought of something very interesting something that you said particularly in many episodes i hope Hope tells Iris, because what if Hope and Huck have this thing and Iris finds out about it? Why didn't you tell me? Well, I was trying to tell you, bitch. He's just blowing me up. <laughs> 
Oh, I tried to tell you that one time, but you know, it wasn't to be and blah, blah, blah. And then she understood by the end, but like, didn't ask me again. But what would it be like if Iris found out that Hope and Huck were telling each other these things and Iris had to find out by other means or overhearing them or whatever it is. Like we said about Elton finding out through other means. What if Iris found out about this shared trauma, the shared secret keeping, you know, that would be very interesting position to put Iris in and could be the means for them to start moving in different directions. I'm taking what you said. I'm just be like, oh, let's take what you said further. Ah, okay. Well, let's go back to the beginning of the episode, you know, where it starts off with Huck, where she's in this cabin of some sort. And, uh, you know, it starts with the dream sequence, actually, which is just this mishmash of everything we see in this episode. I thought it was brilliantly done. Down to, like, seeing a thermal of the people that are in the bar and those people in the bar running away. And it's just so crazy. It's such a crazy mm-hmm. dream. Like, I, it really puts you in Huck's fever dreams and how she really probably can't sleep as much, even though she had no trouble that other day with Felix in the other house. <laughs> <laughs> if you remember but lately yeah. i mean i think it's wearing on her and after she sees the pack it just makes everything worse one of the things that in that dream sequence though is and it comes up oh. again mm-hmm. is this oh, another cudlets episode i did not oh, know that. direct this again oh, that's awesome awesome so one of the things is a slow down version of information society's uh what's on your mind no nope. i want to know what you're thinking some things you can't hide we're so we're sort of familiar with the song right you know, we've all heard it before. It's from the 80s. But let's let's examine the lyrics for a second. Here I am in silence, looking around without a clue. I find myself alone again, all alone with you. I can see behind your eyes the things that I don't know. If you hide away from me, how can our love grow? <laughs> Um, who is this even about? <laughs> is this Elton? Elton by now must be picking up on some of the stuff that Hope is going through. So it's in her dream sequence in the bar with, with Sergeant Drake, but it's, you know, obviously with the thermal and it's very slowed down in the dream. And here you can actually hear it in her flashback with Drake. And it's, yeah, it's pertinent to the scene. She, he's like, there's another song that plays in the background afterwards while they're at the jukebox, but I'll get to that in a second. But yeah, like they're both having this shared trauma, They but none of them know what the other really thinks because... Then nobody's talking about it. It's funny how the band is called Information Society. <laughs> um, and obviously the chorus is, I want to know what you're thinking. There's some things you can't hide. I want to know what you're th- feeling. Tell me what's on your mind. So uh, the next this is the next and only other verses are, I know I could break you down, but what good would what good would it do? I could surely never know that what you say is true. Here I am in silence. It's a game I have to play. You and I in silence with nothing else to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what's the point of me trying to break? It, it almost goes to what Percy was trying to do with Hope, too. Like, that was really rough. Yeah, I, I could really sense the discomfort that Hope was having in that moment, trying to think of what to say, too. Oh, yeah, for her question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what is the point in trying to break Hope down, if not to put her in an uncomfortable position? And I always wonder, like, why people tell the truth and truth are dead sometimes. Like, and I, I feel like the answer to that is to kind of, like, bond, obviously, right? Because yeah. you, you want to tell the truth because you want to be in the in-group. You know, if you want to talk in biological evolution terms, <laughs> like, you want to be in the in-group so that you know who to rely on. And maybe in that moment, Percy knows that he he cannot rely on hope too and silas <laughs> well he, he might also just be kind of pushing hope's buttons and see you, you know kind of a test for her and silas right like how how far can i push them before one of them snaps or at least gets snippy you know what i mean he's right he's pushing and you know like you said why do people tell the truth well people don't usually tell the truth when they pick truth during truth or dare right so I immediately know. person I, I don't i don't know either i mean i can't I think feel of like a good i enough do life, so I don't 
tell the truth, but <laughs> yeah, but, you know what you it know, is. I think I think when pushed, people do don't tell the truth. Like if it's something that they really cannot tell people because they will be in the out group. Yeah, uh, they will lie or they'll choose another truth, which is interesting mm-hmm. too. Well, I think you know Percy sees that obviously. Like she's gonna go with something that's not the worst thing she's ever done, and so he's gonna push her on it and he's gonna poke her and and you know see who comes to her defense or does she defend herself or you know this is just him reading people yeah. he's reading the room he's learning these people and, and instead of subtle hints he's really trying to go for the jugular on, on how these people are going to respond to the harder stuff every yeah. little bit is I data think, yeah i think he has the he's proved that he has this sort of abrasive personality and so these questions aren't they're not gonna think it's weird i guess i mean mm. it is weird the whole thing is weird but so is percy so they'll allow it i guess <laughs> yeah i guess so and you know he tells the stories he finds his way to kind of root them back at a, into a home center where he's telling the stories he's charming he helps all that stuff mm-hmm. you know so it's easy for people i think to snap back to trusting him again i, mean, I don't yeah. blame them i love alton and his comic relief always oh yeah he just doesn't get he's it just, all the time he's so adorably naive <laughs> I well, just love it. Explain. So say, say Nisa's comment and then explain the context of that comment. <laughs> Nisa's saying, I don't know what's customary. And it, uh, Elton's referring to, um, you know, they're about to play truth or dare. He says, I, I don't know what's customary. Do we do we get seating? Do, should we get more seats? <laughs> it's just never been in a social situation. <laughs> right. It's so adorable. And he's so honest about it, too. I think that's what I like. He's he's very honest about being clueless. And I love it because I guess I'm I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I can admit when I'm completely clueless about something <laughs> you know i'm actually just thinking about who is the most honest here and obviously it's elton but like now i'm starting to think about like all these different avatars for truth and innocence and like elton is definitely one of them is the mm-hmm. one definitely the one sure sure uh, oh yeah I he's mean, just saying I, she can relate to elton too <laughs> sort of sort of you know you know what hall ass means <laughs> you, you could everybody can see that's the thing this is why i say this is that everybody can sort of relate to elton everybody Everybody's been in that one moment where they don't know what is customary. You know, <laughs> they don't know. Everybody has been through that period of time where, like, oh, do I just take the sliced cheese out of the wrapper? Do I eat the? Do they spit out the plastic? This is American cheese, right? Okay, this is craft American cheese. But how <laughs> many know. people? It, how many people admit they don't know what they're doing, and how many people fake it till they make it? Oh right? my God! Everybody fakes it till they make it because everybody shames everybody. <laughs> it's terrible. See, and I'm I'm the kind of I have no problem admitting. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Like, I will be the first person to be like, help somebody else do this. If it's some, if it's something I don't know what, okay. When it comes to like technology, I will throw my hands up and go, Jesus, take the wheel. Cause I don't know what the hell I'm doing. If it's something I'm confident in, I'm going to, I'm going to try and figure it out myself. And then I'm going to get angry when people try to help because now it's personal and I have to tackle this. <laughs> well, that, that, that's a whole other story. That's called pride. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and self-reliance, <laughs> right? But actually, but you you know what, what it's like to find yourself in a situation where you have to pretend like you know what's going on. You know it. You have to admit it. Sometimes it does happen. Just to survive a social situation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I commend you for asking for help because most people don't. And most people will no. either pretend like they know what they're doing and mess up big time or, or they'll never admit it and nobody will ever know that they messed up. <laughs> I'll, I'll, they, they're going to bury the body. Of- 
<laughs> right? Nobody will ever know. I'll sort of assess my situation. If it's something that I think I can fake it through and if it messes up, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna matter, then I'll fake it. But if if I'm like, I don't know, re-blading a chainsaw or something that I don't know how to do, and if I mess up, if I try to fake it, it could hurt somebody, I'm not gonna fake my way through that. You yeah, know, I will ask for help when I know that I need it. Yeah, maybe that's the key here. Maybe the key is you can fake it till you make it if the consequences consequences aren't so dire. But yeah, if it yes. isn't, don't don't do it. Just don't do it. But yeah, like in Elton's case, he's never drank before. But he's never been in a social situation. As I don't think he's ever even been in a social situation per se. That so like how does he know how to do any of this? Let alone drink, <laughs> drink a hot uh, a warm bag of nails on his insides. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> But yeah, it does. It does bring us back to back to Huck Slasher because we are talking about a fraternity of people whose slogan is on onage, courage, and commitment. Like this well-oiled machine that that is in sync. They have their different personalities, which they were very clear to uh, point out <laughs> during the flashbacks. But um, but yes, they are together. They work in a unit as one. There are things that certain things that trigger Huck's flashbacks, kind of like in in other episodes where like when you say something, it kind of goes back to the past or to Huck's past. Let's say in this case, when Huck was saying to Tony, you know, when they didn't really know where to go. Uh, she said, you know, if we're flying by and then we're flying blind, and that triggers her, her first flashback, which was um, all the guys in her unit are, are saying, Malik, Malik, Malik. She, she's blindfolded, and she's, you know, she throws the dart and basically hits the target every time, blindfolded. Lance Corporal uh, Malik. Later on, when she's at the jukebox, and she's basically trying to bring up what happened in Devil's Past, those two, Drake and Malik, you know, Huck, mm -hmm. she mentions Devil's Past and talking about it. Now, what's interesting about Devil's Past, that's in that happened in Afghanistan. It was commonly referred to as Devil's Pass. Uh, this was in 2009. That's what's a little bit more interesting. We had yeah. surmised that maybe this all went down in 2008. Now, if this is the yeah. only thing that's, that's dated 2009, and the only reference that's dated 2009, then maybe we can forgive it and just use poetic license in a weird way. Uh, this was April of 2009. So, but let me explain what that was. In Afghanistan, Marines, NATO, and Afghani troops were protecting the elections, democratic elections of the Afghani people people. They had to call in an airstrike once the civilians were cleared, seven to ten militants. Now, Devil's Pass itself, they had to continue following the, the insurgents into their basically their home territory. Uh, it was the target of the, of the start of the operation, and it was two, it was, they were targeting two suspected Taliban com compounds, which were raided commando style by a group of Marines dropped behind enemy lines. A second group drove in from the Marines' main base in Nazad. Their goal was to secure what Marines were, have been calling the Devil's Pass, a narrow passage between between two steep hills that controls the entrance to the Nauzad district. The offense follows Eastern Resolve 1, which was the Marines' initial push out of Nauzad in early spring. This first move was of limited effect, because U.S. troops are too thinly spread at the time to control areas and manage to claim from insurgents. Essentially what that what it came down to was, troops were basically protecting the elections. The they were very close mm. to Cal Taliban territory. Somebody had tipped off the Taliban about this, and they struck hard. Now, the civilians had, or the reason why they found out that they were tipped off is that the civilians had pretty much cleared the area before the attack, the Taliban attack happened. So that's scary. What's even more scary is when they went after, you know, to the two compounds, that's that's when they were tipped off again. The Taliban struck hard and precise instead of scattershot and throwing rockets errantly, right? So basically they got slaughtered. Um, civilian, you know, civilian casualties, marine casualties, they couldn't hold it. 
And so that was the big thing about Huck's conversation that she wanted to have with Drake. You know, even though Drake says the bottom line is you had my back, you know, it, which is important, but not talking about it. Not This is basically reflecting Hope's conversation she wanted to have with Iris in some ways. Mm -hmm. Like, you mm -hmm. know, I want to talk about this. Uh, excuse me, I'm too busy right now. <laughs> I feel Later. so embarrassed for you, Hope. So as she's at the jukebox, another song comes on. And it was, it's called Didn't I by Durando. And oh, I just wanted to note that Drake outranks Huck by two points. So he's a sergeant. She's a lance corporal. Mm -hmm. Good to note because later on we find out that he, uh, she has to actually kill him to get through, to get past him. He does not give I up. Think it, I think it's worth noting that she was a sniper as well. What other position has a spotter to call directionality and win points? From the, from the, from the bullseye scene, right? The, the, uh, blindfolded yeah. darts. Yeah. Good point. Yes. I, I'm, I'm yeah. with that. I'm with that. That's cool. I hope, I hope we see a little bit of that training in action later. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, 10 years later. I mean, we have to also remember that like, it's so funny because in The Walking Dead, they had to be just like, there's no guns. There's no more guns left, except for the Whisperers who happen to have some guns, I suppose. Yeah, right. But but yeah, and well, I guess when you're raiding uh, CR sites, <laughs> you're going to come across some weapons and yeah. uh, pe people to produce them too. Let me go into Didn't I by Durando as Jennifer Malik and Sergeant Drake are by the jukebox listening to it. So the singer starts by saying, didn't I treat you right now? Didn't I? Didn't I do the best I could, didn't I? Didn't I give you everything, didn't I? I tried my best to be a man, didn't I? Didn't I do it, baby? Didn't I do it right? <laughs> Why you want to leave me, baby? Didn't I treat you right? I bought you diamond <laughs> rings, everything a woman could need. I bought you cars, clothes, a home. When things were, were rough for me, to, for me, I kept on, and I'm back again. Didn't I? There's something wrong with you. Tell me. Bring me all your troubles, dear. You look bad. You should be glad. You're leading man. Always always be glad. Sit, at, sit by home, and let me kiss your lovely lips. Didn't I do it, baby? Didn't I do it right? Why you want to leave me, baby? I said, didn't I treat you right? It's a mystery to me that you won't talk to me what it is that I've done to make me. That you won't talk to me what it is, what it is that I've done to make me. So it's, yeah. So it's like interesting. Like Drake is maybe almost saying this to her. Like, you know, didn't I give you everything? Didn't we get each other's backs? Didn't I? I know Nisa's laughing, but... <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, and like only by the end of the song when she's she's leaving him that he goes, uh, "Why won't you talk to me, huh? What? Because you wouldn't want you didn't you didn't want to talk to me when I wanted to talk to you." <laughs> But maybe this is also Elton, you know? Didn't I give you everything? I told you about my mom. I gave you my mom's manuscript. Why are you rejecting me? Aww. I know, right? He just doesn't understand. Didn't I give you everything? Yeah, and he's just like, poor baby. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Didn't I give you mm -hmm. diamond rings? Hmm. Everything a woman could need? Hmm. <laughs> Cars, clothes, <laughs> a home? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> when things were rough, to, when things were rough for me, I keep I kept on, and I'm back again. Yeah, keeps coming back. Yep. One of one of um, Huck's flashbacks, they mention the possibility of having to kill friendlies. Right. Mm -hmm. Their first mission was actually to get some of the civilians back. You know, hold, put them in holding just to keep them safe. And they get back, and then one of the orders was like, okay, we may have to kill civilians as well. You know, and we're just getting confirmation from CENTCOM. But one of the things was that you know the acknowledgement that a marine gives to their commanding officer is kill. So if you ever thought this was a little confusing, uh, now you know. Marines, the word kill 
still is to acknowledge. It's like, yes. It's like, hell yes. <laughs> it's like, it's literally acknowledgement. It's all, it, it can also even mean hello. So kill, like, hey, what's up? Kill. You know, what's up? Be kill. <laughs> that sort of thing. It's a very common thing. Like they do have their own lingo in some ways. Just like talk about fraternity, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. And so when you see that, that scene, don't think of it as kill, like as in they're going to kill people. Like, is it, oh, that's, the, that's what they're all about. One of the things they say when they are trying to rescue civilians initially, uh, Beer Farts Owens says <laughs> something that Kirkman made, you know, was trolling people with how the zombie apocalypse came about. I want yeah. to emphasize troll because if we don't say that, then people are going to think that's it. But it is a troll. And, but the show is acknowledging the troll with Beer Farts <laughs> Owens saying, I heard it came back on a rocket that it started in space. Somebody breathed it in, it turned their stomachs, and then they got on a plane. Flight 462, another yep. title, Fear the Walking Dead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Beer Farts Owens called it. Yep. Facts. Facts. It's all facts. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> But we have to kind of acknowledge that, like Fight Force 62. I mean, you, you could also transpose it onto the night the sky fell, but I don't I don't think that's it. I really do think it's Flight 462 that people are yeah. talking about. Well, we even kind of tied the Flight 462 in, into the night the sky fell, too. I mean, in some ways, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> happening all over the somewhere. country, basically. Yeah. yeah. Switching to body temp. And this is this brought me right back to Fear the Walking Dead season five <laughs> with our clip called uh, Our Predator Dreams Were Dashed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what are they seeing? About thermal imaging. <laughs> right. Yeah. So this maybe confirms I don't know that you can see cold, I guess. So maybe we're not that dumb, Rachel, who pointed out quickly that oh, you can only see <laughs> heat temperatures. Right. <laughs> so maybe we're not that dumb and maybe the CRM are actually seeing both heat and cold as they show different gradients. Like neutral <laughs> seems to be green and people who are warmer than, you know, environment environmental temperatures will show up as red or orange. So I feel better about myself. How about you, everybody? <laughs> I feel that we're okay. Yeah. I'm done. I, I feel I, that I feel was, much better. I thought that was genius. It was it was yeah, it was great. And I also noted that um it was Huck who figured out to take out to kill the brain. She's like, shoot him in the yeah. head, that seems to work. <laughs> right, before the thermal. And but Drake was yeah. the one to figure out the thermal and, and yes. snapped it on her head, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Yeah, this was like, ah, <laughs> oh, like like fucking finally. <laughs> yeah. Hucking Huck, finally. <laughs> Not as funny as everybody else thought. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> well, I would that's definitely... <laughs> so CENTCOM finally gives the orders to eliminate all. Now, one thing to note about CENTCOM, Central Command. I say CENTCOM because it's never said on the show, obviously. So now I have to explain Central Command. This was um, originally... President Carter's rapid de deploy force out in the Middle East and North, and Af North Africa, basically. CENTCOM is not something that is deployed on U.S. soil, just to be clear, which is very weird that Central Command is actually in charge of something that's on U.S. soil operations. In fact, it is mm -hmm. illegal for the military to operate on U.S. soil, short of the Insurrection Act. But still, even that is being fr is frowned upon. There have been, like, there's a specific treaty that says the, the military shall not be deployed on U.S. soil. No, but see, that's the thing, Nisa, when we covered the previous episode of Walking to World Beyond, one of the things that we mentioned was we had a separate force for that. We, had, we not only had the National Guard, but we had the civil defense as well. But we didn't know that the dead, you know, dead rising would necessitate the needs for us to violate our own principles too. So, but the point that I'm trying to make is that this does lend credence to a power struggle between, and what Althea points out, is the military and the National Guard. 
Guard. Mm -hmm. And then what we said as part of that episode was that the civil defense may just have swooped in and create the civil civic republic. And then mentioning the sunset protocols, which is not an official term that I, you could find anywhere on the internet, <laughs> by the way, unless it's some sort of deep state conspiracy that Matt Negretti has information on for some reason, or, or maybe Gimple. I don't. It's not mentioned in a horror movie. It's not mentioned in any real U.S. operations. It's just you can figure it out from the name. Yeah. <laughs> sunset protocols. Ah, lives lives on our Earth are coming to a close. They're sunsetting. Yes, we are the endlings, or yeah. they are the endlings. However you want to put, picture it. Lights out. That's how I took it. <laughs> yeah, lights out protocol. What's interesting about the coinc the coinciding of the acknowledgement of those orders, you know, confirming their their task, is it coincides with Walter's leg bite spreading throughout his body. Part of why they have to do that is to prevent the spread, which Owens freaks out about, obviously, and saying, you know, we have to get rid of, you know, we have to stop this from spreading. It's the only thing left. What if the, these people in the cages are, are infected, etc.? cetera? Uh, so it, it, there is some symbiosis in that. Um, and, at, and at that point, they nobody knew how the infection was being spread either. You know what I mean? Nobody knew that it was through bite or a scratch or anything like that so <clears throat> right exactly i mean look, look at what's going on in the world right now i mean with the pandemic pandemic that we're in i mean nobody yeah. really knows anything either so oh my god i mean could you imagine if if the military just started killing everybody that was showing covid symptoms <laughs> <sighs> God, and you know, there have been incidences where people like hurt others because of COVID and, and all that stuff. And it's just mm -hmm. heartbreaking. You know, people are that scared, well, at least in the beginning, at least. I mean, maybe even recently, who knows? Uh, this is that mob just, mentality that you're so scared of too, right? I mean, you which, put this idea in people's heads and they run with it. And now everybody's having the same thought and they're all just trying to protect their own ass, right? <laughs> yeah, which is weird also because it's almost as if CENTCOM makes it so that the Marines fall apart. Because like you said, mob mentality, it almost enables them to have mob mentality. We're all afraid. Now we've been given the orders, which is exactly what we need to validate those mob mentality feelings or inclinations, right? Because you see Owens going, you know, we got to take them off the board, you know, like, you know, we got to stop the spread and it's weird, right? And so in a weird way, they're almost violating their own principles as Marines. First of all, CENTCOM should not be giving orders on U.S. soil. That's one. <laughs> but again, going back to the Marines, you know, CENTCOM, that, those words are God, which which is true when you're out in Afghanistan, but not on U.S. soil. Because I was trying to figure out how Huck has an in to do what she does by the end of it. Because how can she see herself any other way? But but then when I think of Owens freaking out, that in itself is a person who is not upholding their core values as a Marine. I'm going to go through them right now because a, Marine, a Marine's core values and mission is honor, courage, and commitment. Now, explaining each one, honor, it's the base of a Marine's character. It is the quality that empowers Marines to exemplify the ultimate in ethical and moral behavior, to never lie, cheat, or steal. Okay, so we got some problems there. <laughs> <laughs> To abide by an uncompromising code of integrity. Okay, we're back on track. <laughs> <laughs> to, re to respect human dignity and to have respect and concern for each other. Now, this is where things start to get clearer and less hazier because all of this has to do with the safety integrity of people. So within the context of human integrity, meaning alive, intact, it represents the maturity, dedication, trust, 
and, and dependability that commit Marines to act responsibly, be accountable for their actions, fulfill their obligations, and hold others accountable for their actions. Mm-hmm. This is a big bomb mm-hmm. on the way the, the Marines act in this moment. There will be a wrench. Courage, the heart of a Marine's core values. Courage is the mental, moral, and physical strength ingrained in Marines that sees them through the challenges of combat and mastery of fear, and to do what's right, to adhere to a higher standard of personal conduct, to lead by example, and to make tough decisions under stress and pressure. Mm. It is the inner strength that enables a Marine to take that extra step. So there is wiggle room, you know, that higher calling, that higher example of personal conduct, a higher standard of personal conduct. So a Marine can maybe countermand an order sometimes if it adheres to the Marine's core principles. I can't imagine that happening because of the next step, commitment. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is the the spirit of determination and dedication within members of a force of arms that leads professionalism and mastery of the art of war. It promotes the highest order of discipline for unit and self and is the ingredient that instills dedication to cores and country 24 hours a day, pride, concern for others, and an unrelenting determination to achieve a standard of excellence in every endeavor. Maybe not then. (laughs) Commitment is the value that establishes the Marine as the warrior and citizen others strive to emulate. So to be the example for others to emulate. Mm -hmm. And that, so it's kind of like this weird, yeah, Semper Fidelis. So Semper Fi... Right. And also corps d'esprit, so like the, the, the spirit of the body, you know, like the uh, body's energy. This is why they're called the Marine Corps. The Corps in French means body. So like, you know, Army Corps, you know, Marine Corps. Corps just mm-hmm. means in French body. So you are a body. You are all pieces of a, a individual body that are working in unison. So what's interesting about the last point is that it acts as both a bomb dropped on all of Huck's actions, but then it turns it around by the end when it says the unrelenting determination to achieve a standard of excellence in every endeavor. Commitment is the value that establishes the Marine as the warrior and citizen others strive to emulate. So this is the thing. If you are not doing it for people to keep people safe and you are doing it for yourself, then what are you doing it for? Mm-hmm. If you are keeping secrets for yourself, <laughs> what are you doing it for, essentially? Yep, yep. And this is the thing. This is what gets Huck to kind of turn it around. But I want to hit on a point. This is something that Drake says to Malik, to Lance Corporal Malik. And he says, I'm a Marine. Doesn't he say, I don't know what you are? I don't know what the hell you are. Right. Yeah. Honestly, Jennifer- I think in that moment, she's more Marine, right? I mean. In, some res- in most respects, yes. Right. She's actually doing the thing that Marines are supposed to do, protect the people, not themselves. Right. To protect, yeah, to, to protect the interests of which is protecting the our home country against inv- foreign invasion, to protect those interests out in the Middle East, let's say, or in North Africa. She makes now, it just to, get, just to give everybody the context, though, Jennifer makes the choice to shut out the lights and shoot her fellow officers, even mm-hmm. Sergeant Drake, her superior. And part of that is in defense of these innocent civilians who are safe behind cages, even though Owen says they could be all they could all be infected. We don't know. We have to stop the spread. Meanwhile, Owens has blood spattered all over his face. And what and what's especially funny about that? We know everyone's already infected. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So he's not wrong. He's not wrong. 
wrong. We're all potentially spreaders, super spreaders. Right. Who knows? So I, I didn't even notice this until until my second watch. But the civilians that are behind that cage, the, the very first time I watched it, I thought I saw some walkers in there, like, you know, te- tearing at people. The, the very first time, because it was, it was, I know it, I know. But then obviously the second watch, I was like, no, those aren't, those are people like hiding and shielding themselves. Like they're trying to duck, not attacking other people. <laughs> duck and cover. Yeah. Yeah. It took took me a minute to realize there weren't actually any walkers in there. There was 100% alive, healthy human civilians. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if oh. there were walkers in there, I I would have I would have been on the side of the military and said, "Yeah, everyone in there probably isn't is going to die now." <laughs> But that was not the case. Yeah. Well, it would have made it easier and we wouldn't have had the conflict with uh, Ms. Malik, uh, Lance Corporal. (laughs) One thing that is interesting is that, first of all, yes, Sergeant Drake says, I'm a Marine. I don't know what the hell you are. Earlier on in the episode, Felix says to Huck, that's right. You were once, you were once a Marine, which is something you never say to a Marine Mm. and a non-active service Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine. I am a Marine. Even in death, a Marine is still a a Marine, but in a different uniform. That's what they say. It's, I found that fascinating. It's very rare that somebody denigrates. Even people who may have retired from the Marines, even people who may have even been disgraced. The oh. Marine, uh, An officer recognizes the fact that even when a Marine disgraces themselves, it is not easy to become a Marine. It is not easy to maintain that discipline. Even if they lose that discipline, they still went through it with their brothers. So even when you are disgraced, it is very rare, unless you're being politically minded, which does happen and has happened recently where you disgrace a marine and this is the thing that made me that bothered me about there was a marine that worked in a certain administration that the press was more than willing to denigrate and say you are not a marine and this is one of the few things that made me start thinking differently about how we ought to see the world and who's lying to whom and for what. And so mm-hmm. I will not say anything further, but when somebody says, now I know for sure, this is confirming my suspicions that when you call somebody a traitor, if you're so willing and eager to call a Marine a traitor to their nation and say that they're not a Marine, you don't understand what it means to be a Marine. And this is what, in some respects, turns people off. So maybe I will allow this to stay in because sometimes you just have to call out bad behavior. Even though I'm, I've never served, I, I have the luxury of being able to stand on this side of where Marines are, you know, protecting us. And I have to acknowledge that. And I have to also acknowledge I will never understand what it means to be a Marine or to become a Marine, to have that discipline, honor, and courage and commitment, you know? So I just have to stand here and just recognize that and and for what it is. I will never know. And hopefully that's what they want. They don't want me to have to know. We They keep the monsters at bay, so I will never have to know, which is why I will never be crazy and say, oh, that person was never, it was, is not a Marine. He's no longer a Marine. You can't mm. say that. Even a Marine, in some respects, can't say that if they know it's what, yeah. and they never would. A lot of what's going on here is also simultaneously telling us a little bit more of what, how things started to go bad in the state of Denmark, but also what it means to do what's right and in that sense of honor, in that sphere of honor, commitment, and courage, and commitment, and courage that we don't have. <laughs> And how hard that was must have been for Huck to actually make that decision for herself, too. Yeah. And and shooting the, the one person I think we alluded to is the person that she actually loves in service of this ideal, which actually even more convinces me of Huck's actions, how righteous they were. Right? Yeah. Think well, about that. She, well, I think, and I, you know, she recognizes that, too, and she doesn't want to forget, which is why she scars herself. With his scar, right. Yeah, that's scar. actually a good thing. It's a good thing to hit on, too, because we assume that scar was from something dastardly 
that had been done to her, but she had done it to herself. Now, this does bring us back to the repeated conversation that we often have about about hope <laughs> and her being a psycho. And does that make you change your mind a little bit? Well, no, no. Hope is still a teenager, and I think all teenagers are psychopaths. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so by default, you're right. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> Um, do I think she'll always be a psychopath? I'm, I'm starting to see her kind of coming around to owning her actions. Um, not necessarily justifying them, but just acknowledging what happened. Now, this is the second time, maybe even more, correct me if I'm wrong, where Hope is telling the story of what happened. And she says the gun went off. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. She does say I killed someone, but she doesn't say right. I, sh I shot her. She's again, the gun just went off. Right. Right. <laughs> even before she even says the gun went off for the set first time i even said mm -hmm. it looks it looked as though something startled her and the gun went off then she yeah. says it which confirms what i thought which means she's acknowledging some semblance of reality but still takes responsibility which mm -hmm. i think is cool taking further responsibility and this is why i attributed from the beginning her taking of the bead was her reminder of the value of human life or what can happen in an instant and yeah. it does sort of get confirmed when huck translates why she took what why she did what she did mm -hmm. When Huck explains that, yes, some sometimes, you know, you do this because you're a good person, something you wear every day to remember the bad you've done, a reminder to keep living to do good, because that's the only way to make the bad mean something, like Huck's scar, Drake's scar. And funny how she had to murder her love, let's say, or her close officer, friend. commanding officer, yeah. close friend, or obviously close friend, at least, her mm -hmm. Daryl. One could say, oh, sure. like, I understood that right, right away. Like this idea of the bead, you know, why would you do that? Why would you keep that kind of reminder? Like to remind myself that I've got to make account for something, even though Ho hope doesn't really do that. <laughs> like in her I was, childhood. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, do you really think a, a, a six-year-old has that kind of thought, that kind of rational thought? I don't, I mean, be, what would a six-year-old pick up that bead for? What would be the reason a child would pick that up? A six-year-old doesn't think, oh, I need to remember what, you know, I need to grow from that. No, six-year-olds don't think like that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. And, but the choice to pick it up as a reminder but right maybe it changes over time and you know you're right They're, picking it up might mean a variety of things keeping it is a whole other right yes. like you have the option of throwing it out any point any keep but you keep it because you're wondering that's that's the thing that is defines the right well like what the therapist says it's a, it's the thing that defines the rest of the, your entire life thus far the thing that the, that one moment that sends you off in a certain direction and keeps you on the direction for however long you keep it or remember that loss or that that moment in your in your in your trauma and it could become different things over time too and maybe huck maybe huck is right though like maybe she sees that scar differently later on and maybe she finds a way to be able to talk finally to somebody who is able to listen and understand her position you can already see that it's helping too mm -hmm. you know them talking to each other hope already willing to forgive amelia ortiz for killing her mom that was i thought that was a big thing that they quickly brushed over because they don't want people to have healing just yet um, yeah, they did really brush over that very quickly and i thought i thought that was pretty
pretty important. It deserved a little bit more time spent there. Definitely. I mean, Hope coming to the realization that, it, well, she kind of touched on it last episode, right? When her and she's talking to Elton, um, or is she talking? I don't know. Some She realizes that Amelia was just as good and present of a parent as Leo was, you know? And yeah, yeah. she touched on that last episode. And I think, I think she's drilling down on it even more in this moment, right? Like she was just as scared as we were. Like we were both terrified and, and it just happened. This this thing happened. So it, yeah, I mean, I think her forgiving Amelia, that, that was a it big deal. It was a deal. pretty big thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it could likely mean that she puts even more guilt and horribleness on herself. Mm. I mean, you know, oh, my mom was great. Amelia was great. I'm just a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Huck saying that, like, you know, you carrying this thing, because it's a reminder that the bad has to mean something, that the good we do has to justify the bad that we did. You know, that might be something that carries her forward. I don't know how far, because I don't know. I, I don't think Huck is over the, uh, everything that's going on with herself, too. Oh. Obviously, oh, I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't think she's over it. Um, and, and let, I mean, let's be honest, Huck's situation is, is definitely different than Hope. I mean, Huck saved like a dozen or more people. Hope was just a child who shot a pregnant woman. Like, where was the well, good I, Oh, where I was... wonder though, but that's the thing, like, this is the question I wanted to ask next, because what is the good of Huck? And this, again, just like I don't understand what it must be like to be a Marine, right? Or to have PTSD. So yeah. I'm acknowledging that before I ask this question, but what what good is it to hold on to this secret, Huck, right? To not be able to tell people what you went through and what you had to do the night the sky fell for you. Yeah. Right? What, what I, good to have, does it do at all? Yeah, I don't I don't see the benefit of holding that secret in. But what I'm more interested about is what happened right after that. I mean, she had to take these civilians someplace and then explain what happened to the rest of her team. Yeah, in Middleton, New York. <laughs> yeah. That is like, that is a story for a different time, obviously, right? Because... Right? Right. We don't know. We don't know. That's what I was. I wrote in question marks, ferrying them to safety question mark. You know, I, right. I, I didn't know because listen, it might not have worked out the way she had thought it would with her saving these people. And so what was it for killing all mm -hmm. her friends for nothing? E essentially, I mean, right reasons, but wrong outcome, right? Right. What if so, they walk through that door and there's a herd in front of them? And she's yeah, the exactly. Anyway. <laughs> she's, she's the only one in body armor. <laughs> So, right, so she's the only one that survives. Which is, which would be very sad, very, very, yeah. very sad. We we acknowledge the fact that they not only did they retrieve fuel from the facility, they retrieved some logbooks in code. Yeah which I wasn't able to actually see. They seem to be like binary, but it was actually different numbers, not just ones and zeros. So oh, okay. it, it could binary. mean a whole bunch of things. And it will also, I was trying to see if it was in hexadecimal. If it was, I could actually translate, but I couldn't really make I mean, it anything. I, I think the first thing I would do is lay one of those, uh, you know, sheets, those colored sheets over, over the pages. Just, you know, see if something happened. The, 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 the yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't think It's not a map though. <laughs> No, I know, I know, but you know, I mean, you don't know. What if there's missing stuff? I like, I mean, I think there's floating stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I and mean, maybe, or maybe you're right. And then there's parts of letters that appear under different colors. Oh, you know what? Maybe it's just the idea of colored. Maybe the, the the numbers are all random. And just like you said, it might be just if you shine a UV light on it, it's it's like a misdirect, like mm -hmm. sleight of hand. Like you sure. just shine a UV light and it just, there's a whole bunch of other shit going on on these pages. Right. Like, <laughs> like what you actually see means nothing. And, and like the real messages are invisible. <laughs> yeah. Like invisible ink or heat, heat, uh, heat activated ink or something like yeah. that. Or, or acid. Remember that acid? 
trick? Lemon juice? Yeah, or like or like I've seen other other things with like bodily fluids, <laughs> like if you spit on it or, or blood like rub blood on it. Really? Oh well that must be more of an occulty movie. Probably. <laughs> oh, you know what we, we didn't do. We didn't go through the number one glaring thing throughout this episode. Mountain Dew. Oh yeah. Right? <laughs> now just so everybody knows, The Walking Dead did something similar uh, in their earlier seasons when it came to the Hyundai. They had a bunch yeah. of these Hi- Hyundais throughout their episodes, clearly marked for, I have to guess, advertising p- uh, purposes and stuff like that, just to kind of blare. Yeah, the the only the only uh, car to survive the apocalypse, the Hyundai Elantra hatchback, you know, like. As soon as I saw the Mountain Dew, I, I went, oh, they got a new sponsor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, from the from the old old timey um old advertisements, those old old signs for Mountain Dew. Yeah. Do you remember do you, do you know what that what the sign says? Drink Mountain Dew. It'll tickle your innards. <laughs> It'll tickle your energy. Because <laughs> it's like the whole idea of the hillbilly with the jug of whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> it must be Mountain Dew, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yahoo. I like, I like that it says, it'll tickle your innards. What, uh, the first thing I thought of was walkers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and the reference to uh, it turns your stomach, the, that Owen says oh. in the in the prequel, too. I thought that was uh-huh. kind of interesting, too. Uh, Mountain I... Dew will do it for you. That's another one, by the way. Oh, my gosh i appreciated the the attention to detail when huck and felix are actually drinking the mountain dew and it looks like <laughs> flat ass soda right <laughs> which is another note that sharon you mentioned she's like that oh. has to be flat it has to and be it flat looks, and it looks like it too i mean there's no when they open it there's no bubbles i mean it looks like a flat soda did you hear huck tell felix um she was keeping them in the river so they were at least cold it, they mm-hmm. should have at least I thought that was kind of cool, too. Other little slogans. Mm -hmm. Mountain Dew is good. (laughs) Mountain Dew will do it for you. Most of it is, uh, it'll tickle your innards. Must have been for a long time until they came out with, do the do. <laughs> which does fall in line with the the kind of hillbilly oh my god there's a vintage commercial too which i probably can't put on we'll get in trouble part of the reason why jennifer is the fair queen is because of guinevere guinevere is jennifer is a obviously update to the original guinevere uh and nisa mentioned this to me last night in a voice message sharon mm-hmm. mentions this in her notes but guinevere is literally jennifer the fair queen obviously the arthurian legends she is the one tasked you know arthur's love of her his of his life she is also on the quest just as percival was for the holy grail this is crediting nisa with this one so i thought that was kind of cool so percy and, and huck have some connection to each other maybe or huck's gonna kill percy yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so sick of percy I, he needs to go he needs to go <laughs> i want to know more i'm sorry i kind of want to dig deeper into this guinevere was king arthur's wife who fell in love with arthur's closest friend and also most valiant knight lancelot who held seat at the round table with sir percival the rift between arthur and lancelot led to both of their deaths and the end of camelot so this little tr- love triangle so wow ended an empire it ended a yeah kingdom basically bitches man bitches yeah. <laughs> bitches get stitches what no bros before this is a Hence the the term "bros before hoes" came yeah. about. Otherwise, your whole kingdom falls apart. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know that was that old. <laughs> oh my god! Sharon's note says, "Devil's pass, uh, battle, a sexy time, both." <laughs> a sexy time. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's awesome. Huckleberry Finn reference. Huckleberry Finn. Everybody gather around. So we all know that in Huckleberry Finn, we mentioned this on Man Man Across the Water. She said last week that Huck and Jim cross paths with two con men who do progressively worse things until they finally ditch them. However, part of the theme of the novel is Huck trying to do right by caring about people even when they have done bad things. When he comes mm. across the con men later on, get, getting run out of town on a rail, tarred and feathered, he feels genuinely bad for them. So it's interesting because by the end of the episode, it may be that this is a long con and it may be that the group has to either decide whether they want to or whether they can, after abandoning Silas, treat these people better or worse than they did Silas. We we didn't talk as much about Walter, by the way. There is one thing that we didn't explain. Uh-oh. And it's something that he said. He said, we took this place back. Yeah. I thought that was very interesting, especially when you tie it into Huck's flashbacks. It makes you start to wonder if this facility was a military installation mm. and this man might be a serviceman who took mm-hmm. back this place from whoever it was or it could be a refinery and he was working in the refinery or whatever it is and that's all and that's that but those it just gave me that inclination that maybe he was a serviceman too yeah i got yeah. worried for a split second when when he said that when he said we took it back and i'm like oh god there's more people in there but then he's like my you know my brother turned i had to stab him he's in the next room and i'm like okay all right maybe it's just him and his brother then <laughs> just after he bit me while i was asleep uh-oh right. Right, right. Did did you get that impression though that like that it was just the two of them, or did you feel like it was a, a bigger group that came and reclaimed this this area after it unfolded? It was he and his brother. I was just kind of like, okay, it's just him and his brother, just that. or yeah, or brother in quotes. This is again going back to like the idea of ser- servicemen. It could be his True. brother in arms, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, and maybe she knows that. Maybe Huck knows that, too. Yeah. You know, and that makes me think about, like, yeah, like, everything just makes everything worse for her. You know, the, you- the flashbacks get more hardcore. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I like the, the the decision that the creators are making to use these repeated names, right? I mean, a good Walter, Isaac. Yeah. That was also, like, very notable, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walter and Walter. Walter, if people, in case people don't know, Walter makes his appearance in the first episode of uh, Fear the Walking Dead season six yeah. um, and uh walter has a brother <laughs> yeah, okay, <he> <laughs> his name is raleigh <laughs> raleigh bit walter in this episode <laughs> oh boy <laughs> wouldn't that be hilarious though yeah but his nickname is raleigh oh my right. god the code of cracks what's gonna be funny is that- meet if we meet anyone in the future named walter or isaac like i'm immediately gonna be like oh see ya <laughs> you don't survive the apocalypse with those names sorry i'm so embarrassed for you <laughs> that you can't survive the apocalypse yeah. anyway. you might want to change your name <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly uh, you know give yourself a name like ike or uh, or wally I- I am Negan. <laughs> Ooh, that's how it starts. That's how it starts. Everybody, everybody, fuck off. <laughs> oh, man. This this podcast, I tell you, some days. Stop laughing, Nisa. Stop it. <laughs> She's Negan, too. <laughs> no! Stay in Brazil, where you are Negan. You can be all oh. Negan all you want. She's going to change her name to Elizabeth. There you go. I'm going to change my name to Ginny. <laughs> <laughs> What? No! This is going to be a very compromising for me. Ow! I just hurt myself with my own wedding uh-huh. ring, as I should. Anyway. How about Carol? I'll be Carol. There we go. That, that's safe for me. I, I feel safe. That's as long as I'm nowhere thing. near you. Yeah, exactly. Right. I think I'm on your good side, right? We'll see. Anyway. 
Nisa Strand. Nisa's, her last name is Strand. Nisa Strand. Yeah, yep. Oh, God. Oh, if I see that in your social media, that would be great. All right. Well, in any case, enjoy what we've laid out for you. Hopefully you've got something out of this. Uh, I appreciate your, your listening to us. And if you really want to help us out, actually, and give us some feedback, you can leave a comment on this video or rate our podcast at ratethispodcast.com slash dead. Five stars in the eggplant tell us everything we need to know that you love us. But if you want to give us some more critiques, comments, tell everybody what they're in for, feel free. And also, if you really, really like us and want to follow our journey and be a part of this show, head over to ko-fi.com slash squawkingdead. Now, you can just follow us there, which means you'll be in the know for the next time we're recording, we drop an unedited episode recording, or more. Or, if you'd like to be further involved and be in the chat like Nisa and Sharendy were, you can buy us a coffee. Now, one coffee gives you 30 days of access to our unedited episode recordings and the ability to join us in our recording sessions. If you subscribe to a coffee a month, the party just keeps on rolling. Your choice. Now, regardless of whether or not you buy us a coffee, <laughs> until November 22nd, Talking Dead has decided to air their episodes behind the AMC Plus paywall. That means we're going to be giving you our unedited episode recordings for free in advance of our edited recordings that we play on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Periscope, Twitch, and in your podcast players. So why don't you get early access to these episodes, get the uncut version, the pre-show, the post-show, anything in between. You can download them, play them at your convenience, and you can get them for free the moment they're released. Just follow us on coffee.com slash squawking dead set up an account on ko-fi.com and then you'll know thank you for joining us and i hope you got something out of this and uh we'll see you in the next one episode 114 which will be covering fear the walking dead's sixth episode bury her next to jasper's leg i don't know if i have more questions about who she is or who jasper was <laughs> and why there's only what... a leg <laughs> enjoy take care and we'll see you in the next one goodbye everybody <laughs> Bye. take care take care